Well, it's uh, good to see everybody here. Um, I know that it's been kind of crazy past week. Omicron, y'all. <laughs> Omicron. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. I don't know how, what that's going to be like. But, you know, I, I want to assure you that, at least from the church perspective, we want to do the best we can to make sure everyone's safe. And so um, please continue to remember social distancing, remember masking, not just in church, but wherever you go. And also, um, if by any chance you get infected, you know, like some people recently have, um, let me know. Let leadership know. We could, we'll keep it private. But, you know, for the sake of everybody else, um, you know, we, we will do our best as a church to try and maintain and control safety as much as we can. But in the meantime, we're going to continue in person worship. Um, if you were to join us last Sunday on Zoom, you know that we, we took a little detour from this passage. I'm going to wrap this passage up. But we took a little detour to talk about how important freedom is at least even from the Christian perspective. The, the book of Galatians, as we looked at last week, was, was really all about freedom. And, and Paul was fighting for it, you know, and he was fighting not with non-Christians, he was fighting with other Christians who wanted to impose certain cultural, you know, rights and religious, you know, practices upon young Christians that he didn't think was right. And so it, it was a big deal for Paul, this idea of his, of his freedom. And what I wanted to do today is use that as a jumper to look at this example here in this Philippian jailer and try to, try to uh, process, really process what we think about when we think about freedom and what I think our culture thinks about when they say freedom. Uh, what is a popular idea? What exactly is freedom to you? What exactly does it mean to be free uh, to the world and, and to people around us these days? And so if you remember from this passage uh, a few weeks ago, you know, here's this prisoner, old Roman soldier, all his life, that's all he did. And so this is the last moments of his life. This is his job. And uh, we're told that um, the prisoners, uh, they, they, their, their bonds were freed, right? There was this earthquake, and so they were free to escape. And um, this is the jailer. It's his job to keep them in prison. That's what a good jailer does. So he, he's find a guy who, who puts everything in his life to doing that work, his honor, his, his, his effort, um, and, and when they're about to escape, when he sees that they're all free, he has an ex existential crisis. What am I going to do? Right? What, what, what's my life about if, if I can't even do this? And he's going to take his own life. He's a danger to himself. He's suicidal. Right? Do you remember this? And he, he doesn't have any answers of what to do. The only thing he felt he, he could do was to end his own life. And this is when Paul says in verse 28, Paul and Silas who were in prison says, don't harm yourself because we're still here. They didn't run. They could have, but they didn't. And the jailer turns the lights on. He rushes in. And then he just comes down to Paul and Silas and he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And we asked the question that time, like, why does this jailer ask about salvation, right? Uh, and, and we could have said, well, maybe he was just thankful because the, the prisoners didn't run away. And so he still has his job and his life was his job. And so he still has his life. But we said last time that it, it's got to be more than this because... He's about to end his own life. And if it was all about his job and his work, he still has it, doesn't he? His life is safe now. And if his job was his life, then his life was okay. So why does he still ask to be saved? Why does he still feel need, the need for saving? And we suggested it's because maybe, well, maybe he was scared uh, by the earthquake and he was kind of terrified by that. But maybe it was also how Paul and Silas acted while they were in prison, right? That... Paul and Silas were in chains, and 
the prisoners we said in verse 25 were listening to them. They were, they were in prison and they're singing. They're singing hymns to God and they're praying. And normal people don't do that in prison. And yet that's what these guys were doing. And he saw that. And then he saw the fact that even though this jailer treated them badly, they could have ran away. And they, they, they probably knew that the jailer would have been punished for letting them go by his superiors. Right? They could have just got even and said, hey, you know what, we're, we're gonna, you know, we know what you're going to get, so we're going to leave. This is our revenge. But they don't do that. They stay. So it's possible that uh, you know, they saw that, he saw this, and somehow there was something about their life that he was attracted to. Maybe something to their message. that the, They didn't just talk the talk. They actually walked the walk, and it attracted him. But what we see here, what I wanted you to point to, to remember is that it's Paul and Silas in prison. They're bloody and beaten. They're in chains. They're in stocks. They've been tortured. And they're singing and praying. There's a sense of peace. The prisoners listened. Everybody else listened. And they were amazed. The jailer, no chains. He's the, you know, the guy in charge. And yet in this story, he feels he's got to end his life. And the question we said is this. Who is the prisoner here? Who is really free here? Paul is the one in chains, right? Paul is the one behind bars, and yet he's singing, and there's a sense of joy and peace. The jailer's got no chains. The jailer's got no bars behind, and yet he's suicidal. He wants to die. And when you see someone like this, when you meet someone like this, you've got to understand that there's something going on in his life, not just his life, but in his heart and his mind. Something that he says to himself, if I have this, then my life is good and it's secure. But if I lose this, then my life is over. And so there is something that this jailer was uh, tied to, involved with, uh, enslaved to, something that he felt that he lost, so he had no choice but to take his own life. There is a kind of enslavement that we can experience that doesn't just mean chains or prison. If you were to ask the jailer, are you free? He'd say, of course I'm free. I'm not the one in chains. Paul is. I'm not the one enslaved. Paul is. And yet what we see here is this. That freedom is more than just the absence of physical restraint. So on the one hand, we see the jailer not in chains, no physical restraint, comparatively free, and yet still enslaved to something that held him so tight, he saw no escape when he thought he lost it, except to take his own life. While Paul and Silas, in chains, behind bars, tortured, and yet somehow able to sing and pray. You and I experience this all the time. You might not think you've ever been to prison, but... We experience it. How many times have you thought to yourself, man, I feel like a slave. You know, you're a mom at home with young children, and all you do is children, right? All you do is take after them, cook, clean, wash, take them to school, and you feel it. You say, I feel like a slave. You're an employee at work, and... You know, you've got to work. You need the income, but you hate your job. You hate your boss. You're at the beck and call of this boss. And there are times where you just feel like, I just feel like a slave. You're not free. You don't feel free. Even, even more personal things. How many of you said, I know I shouldn't do this. I know I shouldn't have said that. I know I shouldn't feel these feelings, but I 
just can't help it. You're not free. You might not be in prison. You might not be free in the physical, uh, you know, you might be free in the physical sense to do whatever you think you want, but it doesn't always mean you're free in every sense of the word. What does it exactly mean to be free? What exactly is freedom? Okay? And this is where I want to engage with culture. So just follow me, just quick little lesson here. Because that word freedom in our current culture today is something we don't question. We don't think about, we don't ask, what, what does it mean to be free? We assume it. Of course we are free. We have freedom. And when we say that, and I think when many people say that, it's something like this. Uh, when, you know, when, I was, when I was younger, you know, I think back, you know, I, I was probably really spoiled. But, you know, me and the friends, we would just uh, go to the movies and sit in the back. And I would always buy a pack of M&Ms. And what, what I would do is in the, in the middle of the movie, you know, everything's dark, and I'm in the back. I start taking my M&Ms and I throw it in the front, right? I just throw it in the front and I'm trying to watch the reaction. And, and you know, my friend looks at me and says, Francis, what are you doing? Stop that. That's, so, that's wrong. And I look back at him and I said, don't tell me what to do. I bought these M&Ms. They're my M&Ms. I could do whatever I want with them. Right? Freedom of speech. You can't tell me what to say or not to say. Why? Well, freedom of speech. I can say whatever I want to say. It's my body. No one can tell me what to do with my body because my body, I can do whatever I want with my body. Vaccination. I'm free. I'm free not to be vaccinated. I can do whatever I want. I'm free to be vaccinated. It's my life. I can do whatever I want. Do you see that thinking? It's in our culture. We don't question it. We assume that's, of course. Um, there's no better example of this than in this song written by Robert and Kristen Lopez. You know, you know what song I'm talking about? It won an Oscar in 2013. Best original song. Probably one of my favorite songs, too. Right? And even if I'm not going to sing it, as I read these lyrics to you, I'm, I'm going to want to sing it. And you're going to want to sing it. Okay? But just listen to this. The lyrics of this popular song. The snow glows white on the mountain tonight. Not a footprint to be seen. A kingdom of isolation. It looks like I'm the queen. The wind is howling like the swirling storm inside. Couldn't keep it in. Heaven knows I've tried. Don't let them in. Don't let them see. Be the good girl you always have to be. Conceal. Don't feel. Don't let them know. Well, now they know. Let it go. Let it go. Can't hold it back anymore. <laughs> I can't help it. I can't sing. Let it go. Turn away and slam the door. I don't care what they're going to say. Let the storm rage. The cold never bothered me anyway. I love that song. It's about, it's about, you know, be yourself. Do your thing, right? Don't let anyone tell you to do. And I think Christians can get behind that. But it's sung by a character who's determined no longer to be that girl that her family and her society wanted to be. Instead, she would let it go. And she would express what she had been holding back inside all along. But she also explains her freedom. Let me keep singing it for you, okay? It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small. And the fears that once control me can't get to me at all. You know, it's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. No rights, no wrongs, no rules for me. I'm free. 
go, let it go. Here I stand. Come on, Youngjae, sing it. Here, here, here I stand. Here I stand. Here I stand. That perfect girl is gone. Here I stand. In the light of day, let the storm rage on. The cold never bothered me anyways. You hear what this song says? No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. And you got millions of little kids and little cute girls and boys singing, no wrong, no right, no rules for me. I'm free. That's our understanding of freedom. Only until I am able to assert my individual desires against society, express my feelings, fulfill my dreams, no matter what anyone else says, only then do I experience real freedom. The modern concept of freedom is usually a negative sense, right? It's freedom from, free to say no, free not to do this, free to be just me, free from the ideas of constraint. In other words, our culture says this is what freedom means. It's simply the absence of any constraint. The fewer limits, the fewer boundaries on my desires, my choices, my actions, the freer I am. And I'm okay with that too, in a sense. But our culture has taken that idea of freedom and we've gone one step beyond. We not only believe in it, we enthrone it. That this idea of freedom without limits is now almost sacred. It's the ultimate moral good. And therefore, everyone should respect and tolerate everyone else's freedom. And the only thing we can't tolerate is intolerance. Now, of course, you know, let's think about this, all right? Is there really such a thing, freedom from restraint? I mean, if I said to you today, you know what, I feel like I'm free to punch you. Right? In the stomach. Does that, make it, does, that, does, that, does that make it right? Of course not. And so the freedom people say, but P.F., that's not what we're talking about. Right? We don't mean absolute freedom like you could do. Of course not. What we mean is everyone is free to live in whatever they want to do, express however they want to be, say whatever they are, as long as it doesn't harm others. As long as it doesn't curtail other people's freedom, you're free. But sociologists have pointed this out a long time ago. The problem with that, no harm, you're free as long as you don't harm anyone, is this. One man says, I'm free to watch pornography privately in my own home because I'm not harming anyone. It's just me. But another person counters that and says, no, pornography will shape how you think about women, how you talk and act with others, especially women, and it will objectify the women. And so it is harmful. So which one is right? Even vaccination. I'm free not to vaccinate. I'm free not, and you are. But at the same time, we got to point out, you're free. You're not free to infect people. You're not free to infect people. You're, you know, and so is it harmful? No, yes, no. You know, freedom, as long as I don't harm, it's a principle that, that's not practical. Because no one can agree all the time what actually is harmful. The Christian idea of freedom always talked about freedom in a relationship with this God and a responsibility to a community. 
the irony of our country today is that we always say we live in the land of the free. We live in the nation of freedom, a land of democratic, republic freedom, right? We have freedom. But in practice, when we talk about freedom, usually it's not about us as a nation. It's not about us as a, as a people. It's usually about me, what I'm free to do. There's an individualism in our culture that takes that freedom without the consideration of God or people or community or anything else. You know, atheist and non-Christian and famous sociologists said the same thing. Charles Taylor, he says this, quote, To have any kind of livable society, some choices have to be restricted. Some authorities have to be respected. And some individual responsibility has to be assumed. That's a non-Christian's perspective. And I think the result is, not just Christian but non-Christian, if the current idea of freedom is freedom from restraint, and, you know, the more less restraint, the more free you are, that doesn't exist. Let me give you examples. You want to be healthy. You want to keep in shape, right? So you're free to go to the gym and pursue health. But you're also free to eat pizza and potato chips all day. You could do that if you want to. Thing is, you can't have both. If you're pursuing health, but you're pursuing potato chips and pizza, all one has to give for the other. You have to let give up one freedom to gain the other. Right? One freedom, I'll give up potato chips and pizza for the sake of health, will curtail the other freedom. You're free. Let's say you're free. Yeah, you're free to play. You play basketball. You're free to be the best basketball player you ever want to be. And if you really want to be a great basketball player, there's other freedoms you've got to give up to do other things in order to go to all the practices, in order to play five, six hours, sometimes all day. You've got to give those things up. You can't just go to the movies anytime you want. You can't just, you know, eat and do whatever you want. You're free to play basketball, but you're living and giving up certain freedoms. You want to make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. I want to make a lot of money. Yeah, go ahead. Do it. Free. You're free to do this. But unless you win the lottery, you probably have to work. Hours and hours of work. Give up leisure. Give up sleep. In order to gain that freedom of making a lot of money. I was first chair in high school. Not high school. Middle school. First chair, clarinet. Clarinet. Right? But I, I dropped really quickly. You know why? Because I didn't practice. I was a natural in the beginning, first chair, and about six months later, I was last chair. You know why? Because I didn't practice. Why? Because I didn't want to practice. Why? Because I wanted to be free to go out with my friends. And so I wanted to play clarinet like a pro, to play it freely. But in order to play it freely... I need to risk other freedoms in order to do that. Here's the ultimate proof that, that the culture's idea of freedom doesn't work. Marriage. Marriage. You're free to pursue marriage. You're free to get married. But once you're married, look, you're no longer free to look at other people. Right? That freedom is gone now. To pursue anybody else. That's what love is. And a loving relationship can't grow unless a person sacrifices some freedom 
in order to love and serve the other. Tim Keller, you know, people, he, he mentions this in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says people who want to get married, they want a spouse that says, you know, I'll accept you as you are. And I'm not going to ask you to change. I'm not going to require you to make any sacrifice, change any of your desires or interests. I'll take you as you are. And Keller says this, that kind of marriage is a fiction. It doesn't exist. We all value freedom. But freedom simply isn't the absence of restriction. It can't be. And not even Christians, but non-Christians say if that's the case, it will erode society. It will break down relationships, right? It will inhibit sacrificial love. So then what is the right way to approach freedom? And it's this. Pursuing freedom, even from a Christian perspective, means simply this. Finding the right liberating restriction making strategic choices, take certain freedom losses in order to strategically receive freedom gains. So you get married. You lose the freedom of independence. That's life. That's, if you don't do this, you, you're, you're not, you, you're not, you don't understand marriage. You lose that. But you do that in order to gain a new freedom, a relationship, a partner, someone with you for the rest of your your earthly life. You know this at work. Employees, you know, you're not really free because you've got to submit to a boss. But if your boss, if your CEO, if your coach, if your team member is a great one, then his leadership, his rules will help the team realize its potential. Everyone thrives. So, so freedom then isn't, isn't just, you know, I'm, I can do whatever I want. Freedom is submitting to the right rules, the right leader, and it can bring all sorts of greater freedom. The Bible's clear. Look, you read Psalm 1. It says the man who understands the Bible is like a tree with its roots in the ground. It grows. But a tree is not free in the sense that, hey, I'll be a tree here and then I'll have a tree over there. No, it's stuck in the ground. It's rooted. It's confined. It's bound. And, and you might think that's so confining. But the Bible says that's when the tree grows the most. Because that's what it's created to do. And if that's the case, how much more liberating will it be to then submit to the true king of our souls. There is no such thing as absolute negative freedom or freedom from constraints or, or, or boundaries because we're always having to give up certain freedoms in order to gain and experience others. The only question you've got to ask is this, is it worth it? And here comes Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, and you've heard these verses before. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, learn from me, for I am gentle and lonely in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Look, Jesus is clear. He's not saying if you believe in Jesus Christ, you'll be free from constraint. No, I've got a yoke. I, I've got a burden. But the difference is, compared to everything else, it's easier and it's lighter. And the truth is, if you don't want to be under Christ, you'll be enslaved to something else or someone else. And it can be brutal, unforgiving, 
you mess up, you fail, it's done. That's what the jailer was experiencing. If there is a God who controls all things, and in John chapter 10, verse 18, here's a Jesus Christ who says, no one takes my life, I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down. I'm free. I'm free to do what I want, and I'm going to lay down my life for you. If that's the kind of God you have, because of his freedom to live for God and die for us, and because of that, it gives me meaning and dignity and identity so that I don't have to work so hard to create my own meaning and identity and try and maintain that and put that facade up all the time. Yeah, it, it's, a, it's a yoke. There are things he wants us to be like. There are things he wants us to do. There is a burden. There are boundaries. But he says it's easy and light. Why? Because when you fail, and you will fail, there's forgiveness. There's graciousness. When you put your Christ, submit to his yoke, you don't have to go out and try to find your purpose and, and work so hard and to get your significance. It's bestowed upon you, not achieved. When you think about what Jesus Christ has done, you say, I know I want some of that. I'll submit to that. You don't earn favor. You don't earn blessings like everyone else is trying to do. It's given to you freely. And you're free then. In submission to Christ from things like anger, because you have a God of peace. From jealousy, because he's given you everything he has. From hate, because you've been loved, even though you were hateful. Free from fear. Because you know that he has you in his hands. I think that's what the jailer was looking for. So be free. Be free. You know, it's ironic. You compare Elsa's song in Frozen, Here I Stand, right? To that of another, not song, but Martin Luther before the Roman Empire when he decides to, the Roman church, where he decides to say, I don't listen to you anymore, he says what? Here I stand. Elsa says, here I stand. Martin Luther, here I stand. But Elsa speaks for the contemporary culture by saying she can only be free if there are no boundaries at all. Luther, when he said, here I stand, meant he was free from fear and from the authorities because he was bound by the word of God. And it's north. That's true freedom for him. And it ought to be for us. Okay? That's what the culture says. So let me wrap this up. Remember, I've said this before over and over again. Remember the prayer that the Pharisees always prayed? Oh, God, I thank you that I'm neither a Gentile or a slave or a woman. I thank you, God. Right? Remember that? They, they, they actually prayed that. Well, in this whole passage, well, Acts chapter 16... Lydia was a woman. Here's Paul's message. She's free from legalism. There was a little slave girl. I thank God I'm not a slave. There's a slave girl. Free from oppression after meeting with Paul. And third, there's a Roman Gentile. The Pharisees, I thank God I'm not a Gentile. Here's a Gentile. And he's free from himself. How ironic that all these kinds of people are the people that God builds his first church in Philippi. All kinds, women, you know, little people, you know, smaller people, children, adults, Gentiles, you know, Jewish people. They're all saved. They're all set free in different ways by the gospel of Jesus Christ.
And so as you think about this gospel that you hear and the faith that you believe, let's understand the freedom that we've received as we submit to him. Let's pray.